Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to hear some of the guests who have been recently featured on JM in the AM, and we begin this week with Dr. Jeffrey Gorak. He is the editor of a book entitled Conversations with Colleagues on Becoming an American Jewish Historian. He has a bunch of uh, amazing people in the field of Jewish history, American Jewish history, um, writing essays that he edited describing why they entered this field. Why become an American Jewish historian? It's our first conversation this week on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. One of our favorite guests is with us live via telephone. Not only a favorite guest, but a mentor of mine, I'm proud to say. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gurak is the Libby Clapperman Professor of Jewish History at Yeshiva University a prize-winning author or editor of 20 books in the field of American Jewish history. He was twice chair of the Academic Council of the American Jewish Historical Society and for 20 years an editor of its journal entitled American Jewish History. He is editor of the brand-new book Conversations with Colleagues on Becoming an American Jewish Historian. Dr. Jeffrey Gorak, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. And I want to begin by making a contribution to Jewish uh, Jam in the AM. Thank you. Seventy-two dollars, four times high, in honor of our four grandchildren who attend the Mariah School in North Jersey, and specifically the Mariah Choir, which last night, last night, was part of a wonderful, wonderful concert that involved Yavna and Ramaz and Sar and Mariah, and somehow my granddaughter Margot. At a solo. So in honor of them, uh, $72 for the wonderful work you're doing. And I have your app, and I listen to you all the time. And it's wonderful to see how this show has grown. It is an international show, and it's a privilege to be on your show once again. I greatly appreciate that. The book is called Conversations with Colleagues on Becoming an American Jewish Historian. Now, I've read through this, and it's sort of like, and tell me if I, if I have the right perspective, it's sort of like taking, I don't know, 20 or 30 athletes and asking them why they went into athletics or taking anybody in any profession or a group of people and, and trying to figure out what it is that prompted them or enticed them, excuse me, into that specific area of professional life. Am I getting a little bit of the perspective here? Well, that's the perspective. And uh, besides being a scholar in the field of American Jewish history, I also see myself as an advocate for the field. And I became aware a couple of years ago that in a number of subfields of American history, uh, ethnic history and women's history, these types of memoir books uh, appeared. And I wanted m- myself and my friends to go on the record as to how we, became, how we became interested in American Jewish history, but more importantly, some of the challenges that we faced in uh, what I say, growing the field from an area which was often dismissed by Jewish historians and American historians as just ancestor worship and apologetics to becoming a professional field. And you know, in the humanities today, it's a very difficult road for young scholars. Right. And I guess I wanted my colleagues, my younger colleagues, to know that we had a difficult time uh, growing this field into what I believe today is a very respected field in the field of American history and Jewish history. You know, um, I sometimes kibitz my uh, colleagues who do medieval Jewish history that while they study Rashi and Tosafis, uh, I spend my time uh, studying how Jews eat, how they dress, and of course how they play ball. But that to understand the immigrant experience, you have to deal with the social history and all those types of things. So I was fortunate enough to round up uh, 15 of the usual suspects, and they all wrote very, uh, I think, accessible and insightful histories of uh, by autobiographies, if you will, uh, of right. how they became in, involved in American Jewish history. Unlike your colleagues studying and, and lecturing and writing about medieval history, uh, where it's all laid out for them, you know, from the moment they're born, because, you know, it goes back hundreds, if not thousands of years. In, in this case, what I found interesting is that it took a while, and it seemed there needed to be certain points or certain things that had to happen in order for American Jewish history to become a subject in and of itself. Right? There were certain important uh, landmark uh, points uh, that had to be reached in order for it to become a subject area. Well, we again, we had to overcome 
the amateurism which prevailed in the field for the longest time. Uh. And, and by the way, since I, I teach you yeshiva, it'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I follow in the footsteps of Professor Hyman B. Grinstein, who did one of the first important historical works in American Jewish history, and his interest, much of his interest, was in New York Jewish history, which is mine. And I always say in every bibliography on New York Jewish history, G.R. for Grinstein always goes before G.U. <laughs> but his work back in the late 40s, early 50s, even more than being history, was archaeology, because he had to dig up sources uh, that no one knew about. And this compendium, which runs uh, about 450 uh, pages, I think I signed that book to you when you were my student many years ago, wow. it still remains a book which uh, scholars uh, scholars return to. Um, the other thing is, one of my teachers years ago used to say that when an ancient Jewish historian finds a laundry list on a papyrus, it becomes a book. Uh, we have all different types of sources we have to use, and to integrate them into a scholarly manner, of course, is uh, is always a challenge. And it's one of the thrills of constantly doing uh, uh, American Jewish history. So there's a lot more material available to you than, in a lot of cases than some of the other historians out there. Yes, and, yeah. and you know what? Uh, uh, I sometimes tell my medieval friends that when they give a lecture on the Rambam, no one gets up in the audience and says, I heard the Rambam <laughs> say the following, and what you're saying is incorrect. Right. You know, uh, when I talk about things, writing contemporary history is very, very difficult because, number one, things are constantly changing. And secondly, you have to be very careful because people in the audience uh, uh, have their own experiences and their own prejudices. And I try to go straight down the middle on some very contentious issues. Uh, and there are people in the audience who come with their perspective, which is personal and not scholarly, so you have to balance it to the, the scholarly as well as the, uh, uh, as well as the popular. So that's, again, one of the uh, challenges, and one of the things that's very intriguing. Uh, one of the things I, I've written about, uh, and many of your listeners know about this, is that uh, but the rallies that took place, not enough rallies, of course, in Madison Square Garden during the, the, during the Shoah okay. to publicize the, the destruction of European Jewry. And I sometimes ask my audience, does anybody know anyone who was actually there? You know, there were 18,000 seats in Madison Square Garden, in the old garden on 49th Street. And, it, you know, the people uh, have relatives who were there, and their perspective of what happened is very different than the newspaper reports and memoirs of, of leaders and the like. Dr. Jeffrey Gorak's with us. He's edited the brand-new book, Conversations with Colleagues on Becoming an American Jewish historian. By the way, that experience, I would bet, has happened to you in this neighborhood. You've probably been walking the streets of the Lower East Side, have mentioned something to somebody, and a local said, no, 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 that's not how it happened, right? That probably- that's that's, that's off, often the case, although many of the people on the Lower East Side are newcomers to the neighborhood, right. and we have to educate them about what uh, the neighborhood was like. And with the gentrification of the neighborhood, and some of the old buildings are, have been torn down, and sometimes when I do my tours, and I do my tours of Lower East Side and all of them, you know, I point to places, of this is where this synagogue used to be, and now it's a co-op or something along those lines. Or go down East Broadway, and you see the forward building, the Forbitz building, right, which is now, which is now a condo. Right. So th- things, are con- things are constantly changing. The other thing is, you know, when you, when you go to Europe, you can see places where Jews lived for 500 years. Right. They're not there anymore. With the nature of our city, with urban renewal and the like, uh, things are torn down. So in some respects, people have to take my, wor- my word uh, for it. By the way, the 15 that are in this book, how many of them are New York centric? Are, are, are there are, are the majority of them, uh, you know, with, with with the leanings toward the New York area? I tried very hard to diversify here. Uh, first of all, in terms of gender, there are more women historians than men historians. Wow! In terms in terms of background, uh, Steve Bauman focuses on Southern Jewish history. Jenna Josslett, who is a New Yorker, uh, uh, focuses on material culture. In other words how different types of artifacts are used for the study of, of American Jewish history. So some of us are New Yorkers. Uh, two or three of us write specifically about New York. Uh, one of the issues within my discipline is whether you are New York-centric or the rest of the country, uh, per se. So, yes, it's, it's a diverse group. And we also, we also invited, I also invited in 
with Ellen Prell from uh, University of Minnesota, who's an anthropologist, and Stephen Whitfield, who's an American studies uh, specialist, to indicate that we are a porous field. And um, I should also say these 15 people, and I make, I'm the 16th, are representative, uh, not the only ones doing good work. There are others who I didn't select, and uh, I may have to deal with that down the road because a lot of people want in. Are you uh, finding any people in their 20s and 30s that are pursuing this uh, field? A lot of people are going to this field. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our biennial uh, scholars conference at the new Museum of American Jewish History in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and there are young colleagues in the field, and frankly, they're dealing with this great challenge today in university life that uh, humanities often take second or third place to uh, sciences and the like. Right. The job market is a very difficult one. Right. And one of the things I want to say in this book, and all my colleagues said, said in this book, is that the road they're traveling is a difficult one, and the road that we traveled in terms of uh, uh, securing our jobs. You know, Nachum, the three schools that um, first uh, promoted the study of American Jewish history are three schools that have something very much in common. They're Hebrew Union College, the Jewish Theological Seminary, and Yeshiva University. Yes, I know theologically all of them are very, very different. I understand that. But in terms of their students, uh, these are people who want to serve the Jewish community and want to know about the American Jewish community. So during the Shoah, um, there was a recognition at the three institutions, independent of each other, that it was important to study American Jewish history on a serious level in terms of training rabbis and teachers and the like. And that was the beginning of the professionalization of the field. But it took a long time for over 75 or 80 universities to recognize that American Jewish history was a valuable field that uh, should be studied and should be researched. So mm. HUC, JTS, and our yeshiva were the first, and again, Grinstein was the first at Yeshiva, Moshe Davis at the seminary, and Jacob Rader Marcus at uh, Hebrew Union College, and we had a book launch last week at, um, at the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, and I spoke, and Jonathan Saunders spoke, uh, who's at Brandeis, and Julie Rubin Schwartz, who's a dean at JTS, spoke, and Gary Zola, who's at HUC, spoke, and one of the reasons we had this particular cohort of the 15 is to recognize that the field started to be professionalized when these three institutions, again, independent of each other, right. came to the recognition that this field needed to be studied. Very interesting. How do you explain the passion? You know, when people ask me, you know, why, I, why I'm why i up at 5 a.m. on Memorial Day morning when the rest of America is sleeping, I could, I could explain it. I, I could sort of explain it because of the passion I have for this work. How do you explain the passion that you and your colleagues have for this field of study? Well, this may be a banal answer, but this, this is what I do. This is what's always interested me as a person. I, I write in the book that my first teachers of uh, history were Walter Cronkite hmm. um, and Huntley and Brinkley and Mike Wallace. And as a family, growing up, every night we watched the news and that became part of my consciousness. My brother became a journalist. I became a historian. And then as a college student, I became aware that the, the intellectual world was something that I w wanted to embrace. And being a committed Jew, that led me to study Jewish history. And that ultimately led me to be uh, an American Jewish historian. And I guess the turning point in my life was in 1971, when the NBA draft took place, and I didn't get chosen, so I had to, I had, I had to do something else. <laughs> were there high Were there high hopes at that time? <laughs> no, no. That uh, actually, I, I call my essay a scholar athlete that discovers American Jewish history, and namely, I had I had this great interest in sports, and uh, only twenty years into my tenure as a professor was I able to say, well, now I'm going to write a book about Judaism and sports which uh, is the book that has sold the most copies of all my my 20 books. So I'm very, right. I'm very proud of that. I, I think you once described it to me that you had, you had, you had to prove your, your validity. You had to prove that you had a real historic track, meaning a track record in history before drifting into the sports arena, excuse the pun, because otherwise your colleagues would be a little bit more skeptical, right? Well, it's not only my story. Jenna Jocelyn's first book, 
was called Our Gang, A History of Jewish Criminality in New York City. Right. And there was a lot of pushback against her. It was a very scholarly book. Why are you writing about Jews who are involved in the crime? And her answer, her answer was, I'm just paraphrasing it, was that in understanding the, Amer- the American Jewish immigrant experience, you have to study the good, the bad, and to some extent the ugly. Right. And this is part of our history as well. And how you get involved in your industry, whether it's a legitimate one, or an illegitimate one is something that's worth doing as long as you do it objectivity objectivity and do it in in a scholarly manner so she survived that but uh, <laughs> to do your first book on criminality was a marker and, and she writes that she had she had three things uh, going against her when she entered the field she was a woman and this field was very much male dominated in the beginning she was um, writing writing about crime and she was doing American Jewish history. So I'm proud to say we've come a long way, but there's still challenges that need to be overcome. By the way, I should note, because you mentioned sports, one of your more recent books as well is the one entitled Constant Challenge, Sports and American Judaism. People should check that one out as well. Uh, our friends at Magid Books have that on their website. Uh, the, the Today's conversation, which is called Conversations with Colleagues, where do people find this? Is it on Amazon? Is it available? It is now available on Amazon, absolutely, and uh, uh, people should pick it up. And it's, I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting, interesting book. Uh, people who are, who have delved into American Jewish history, who know the names of these scholars, like might be interested in understanding how they uh, how they chose their their first work and how they continue to do work in American Jewish history. And as I'm looking at my beautiful cover, the books include works on the rabbi's wife, on the history of Rebetzin. Mm. Uh, the history of Jewish radicals, um, uh, a few books on New York Jewish history, a wonderful book on Hanukkah in America by Diane Ashton, how Hanukkah emerged as a major Jewish festival, not only because of Jew- Jewish interests in Hanukkah, but also because of its concomitance, you know, chronologically with uh, Christmas. Very interesting book. And then there's a book called You Never Call, You Never Write, which is a history <laughs> of... Uh, Jewish women and their mothers, their interactions. So uh, all this says that these senior scholars, and again, there are others who do important work too, have a diverse amount of interests, and they've all come together, and they're all my friends, and uh, none of them disappointed me, and they all wrote very accessible. Hey, they're all good writers, you know, and uh, uh, they came together in doing this book for me. And you, with do, me. And you even have a book about the Lower East Side featured as well. That's also there yes, on the cover. Yes, Hashidaya did a book. Lower East Side memories, how the Lower East Side continued to be the touchstone of American Jewish life long after the people who lived there originally, and not the people who live there today, exited the neighborhood uh, beginning in the 1920s when they moved to uh, Brooklyn, the Bronx, uh, Queens, and ultimately to suburbia and elsewhere in the United States. Also a very fine book. It's called Conversations with Colleagues, everybody. It's edited by Dr. Jeffrey S. Gorak. It's a great one. There's some fascinating essays in there. I highly recommend it. Uh, Dr. Gorak, I wish you mazel tov on it. I thank you for your support, and I remind you that it's only because of you and a very, very small handful of people that I'm sitting here today. So I appreciate that as well, especially today on a day when we're asking people to help keep us going. So thank you very, very much for that. Well, thank you, and keep up the good work. I'm very proud of you. Appreciate that very much. Dr. Gorak's book is called Conversations with Colleagues on Becoming an American Jewish Historian. Check it out. Available at Amazon. I thank the Goraks for their donation. I remind everybody that today is the first of our three-day fundraiser. Whatever you could give, believe you me, it's welcome, appreciated. And it keeps us going at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, or uh, just return the envelope that we sent to you if you're on our mailing list. Another easy way to support us going forward. That was my conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Gurak. The book is called Conversations with Colleagues. Yerachmiel Begun was in studio recently to debut the brand new Yerachmiel Begun Miami Boys Choir album entitled Forever, La Olam Va'ed. It was quite an interesting conversation. Here it is. Yerachmiel begun a recent guest of JM and the AM on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Quarter after 8 o'clock on a Thursday, Yerachmiel begun is in our studio here at JM and the AM. I will introduce him to you and you to him coming up. But first, we will open up this segment with a brand new song 
From your Achmiel Begun of the Miami Boys Choir, you may be aware of the fact, I think everybody is, that they have a brand new 13-song CD entitled The Olam Va'ed, Forever. And we get a chance to, even though we've been playing it already, to officially debut it this morning right here at JM in the AM. It's a new music alert Thursday. Keep it here at JM in the AM. Opening selection from your Achmiel Begun in the Miami Boys Choir. It is called the Olam Va'ed Forever. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you see the cover right now. Go to facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network to see our conversation as it happens. Your Achmiel Begun is in our studio, and I say, Your Achmiel Begun, welcome back to JM in the AM. It is great to be back, Nahum. It is nice to see you. I'm telling you, it's really like a Blast from the past. Last time we saw each other was on Pesach, a very, very successful show in Brooklyn, New York. You actually introduced this song that night. 
We did, actually. and um, Good reaction to it, I yeah, remember. It, it yeah. was. My it was kids a, were there, and they said, oh, this is a hit. This is a hit. Yeah, yeah. It's a good song. We worked, <laughs> hard, we worked hard on the choreography. Right. We worked hard really good. And then by the time the show was over, they really knew it. <laughs> <laughs> All they needed was one concert. Then they yeah. really knew the song. Right, because usually, you know, we do two shows in a Chalamay. Right. So I always tell the kids, you know, we're going to go out that first night. We're going to do great, but right. we'll have it really good by the second night. Right. Do you remember the year... That you and I, I was there that year. We did four shows in three days. Well, it was in three days, was, right? Uh, Wasn't it four shows? Are you in talking three days? about 94? I think it was 1994. Well, it was and actually four shows in four nights. It was four nights? Because we did it Mutsi Yantif. Wasn't there once a year where there were two shows in a day? Or am I wrong? That was, a, that was the uh, 1993. And that was a total of three. Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, and Saturday night. Oh, because that was a total of three. But, um, so one year we had a total of three, one year a total of four, and four nights. Actually, it went from Marion Experience 1 to Marion Experience 5. Marion Experience 1 was one show. Right. Marion Experience 2 was two shows on, up with on the road to Shalim to play. Marion Experience 3 was three shows. Marion Experience 4 was four shows. But Marion Experience 5 was back to one show at, 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 at <laughs> you NASA. Got, you got smart again. Oh, Na- but it was a big show. No, NASA Coliseum. Right, right, right. right, right. Um, and what I remember you telling me, it also, and he, you know, obviously a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but why wouldn't this be true? Uh, I remember you telling me that the people who were there the fourth night of the four, not that they, not that anybody who was there early in this run, you know, was cheated out of a great show. Was right. But imagine those who were sitting there the fourth night really got a very tight, incredible performance because they had been on stage all week. Actually, I remember speaking to you about it. It's only 24 years ago. <laughs> but I remember telling you that the plus and minus of the fourth show. Right. One hand very tight, other hand a little tired. Right. The kids are tired. Everyone's tired, frankly. Right, right. 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 So even, you, even your MC was tired by that. Really? It's <laughs> good to know that you can get tired. Uh, yeah, at times. I didn't know that's possible. Go to Facebook.com slash Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, we are in studio with your Achmiel Begun. Now, what's, one of the things that's unique about all this, meaning about the brand new album, is that a lot of people, many of your colleagues, many of the people we know who've been in that chair, have gone the route of releasing singles, releasing videos, doing so sporadically. And by sporadic, it's not a criticism, meaning, you know, every few months they'll come out with something significant, some even more often if they're, you know, at enough weddings where they're putting together these homemade videos. And, uh, and that's the route they're going. You, in 2018, and I'm sure very successfully, because I hear what's going out on the street, and this is already a big seller, I'm sure, you go completely against conventional wisdom, against what everyone's doing, and release a 13-song CD. I'm emphasizing that you made sure to release it on CD in addition to you know iTunes and all that. Right. And what's funny, by the way, I actually saw one of the young people out there proud of the fact that they had both the CD and iTunes. Really? Like, yeah, like, Can we interview him? Because <laughs> because one of the reasons they like the CD, right. and they're not used to this at the age of 10, 12, 15, 20, they're not right. used to this, right. that you get a booklet with all the information and all the pictures and everything you want to know and all the people you want to thank and point out, and that's important to them. So it's the best of both See, worlds. See, I'll tell you, Nachum, I think that when you're talking about different colleagues in the business, right? right I think we're in... We're in the same business, but not exactly the same business. You know, most singers are in the Jewish music CD business because they're in the wedding business. Right. So for them, the wedding business is the ikar. That's the main thing. And then the CD is is pretty much promotional for the purpose of them singing at weddings, singing at simchas. So therefore, all the pre-promotion of putting out a song and putting out a song and putting out a video before the album or whatever is sort of heading towards that. Miami's completely the opposite. I mean, Miami puts out CDs for the purpose of the concerts right. and for the concerts for the purpose of the albums. Right. So it's its own world. So therefore, the idea of putting out in advance, it really doesn't make There's that no much, reason for it. There's no reason for But we did do the, the countdown. Right. Right, but which is I, cool. As something different. Right, because again, these days you want to grab people with social media, get them excited, and keep them up. To, you do that every day, because these days right. you have to do stuff every day, otherwise it gets lost. Right. And, and, and you made sure to count down. Right, and, I, and, and I have to blame all the people around me. <laughs> because they know what they're doing, huh? Every, everybody, everybody was telling me. <laughs> all uh, the young people, huh? Yeah, yeah, my kids, who are not young kids anymore. <laughs> but they're everyone, more familiar than you might be. Tati, how could you not do this? How could you not do that? You know, yeah. And I'm used to the idea of... You know, going back many, many years ago, how did you? Prom- how did we promote an album? We put out the album. 
We went on the Nachum Siegel show, and I added in the Jewish press. <laughs> That's the end of that. That was and it. waited for the next concert. And why did that work? Because everybody listened to the Nachum Siegel show, Correct. and everybody saw the Jewish press. Correct. So that was it. Correct. That was it. But today, we're talking about this wider thing where everybody is really not doing one thing. Right. And so, and that, and also, and you know the benefit of the flip side, obviously. That we're reaching more people. I mean, the world's so much smaller now that, you know, people who never thought of tuning in right now are watching and listening to us, you know, years later. So. Yeah, the flip side, I right. guess. The flip side of it. We just have to get used to that, that it's a good flip side. Yeah. Well, I think that there is, you know, the, the, the way that it was being presented to me was, you don't understand, not everybody's reading a newspaper. Right. That type of an idea. Uh-huh. And that's not... Meet a, people where they are, what they're doing now. You want to do what they're doing now. No, it, it's like I had... Telling people that the album is coming out in all the major newspapers. Right. And then some lady, I don't know, called. No, I'm, no, I'm going back to the concerts Pesach. Right. Pesach, the advertisements were everywhere, every newspaper. Right. So some lady called the hotline right. to buy tickets. And we asked, somebody asked her, well, how did you know about the show? She was from Borough Park. Right. She says, Oh, but uh, I don't know what the accent was. Right. I won't do the accent, but she said, oh, I, I stood on the Borough Park from the Instagram. Yep, yep. No, so that completely, yep. I couldn't understand that. Yep. You know, so that was like shock number one. And that was before, before sure. Pesach. So the different world, oh, right? Yeah. Um, can I assume you're the composer of all 13 songs? Well, you didn't read the, the notes. No, I didn't prepare well enough for this. Well, I only wrote it once. The reason I... There, oh, it's I, only I, there one time? I, I only <laughs> wrote in the credits one time. <laughs> the reason right. I ask is because you're now surrounded by people, uh, as you mentioned, some of your kids, etc., who are actually composers. There are, they are following in your footsteps when it comes to that. Yeah, so well, are you alone yeah. in terms of the credit or not? Yeah, that still says the same. <laughs> You're still the sole composer on this But my one. kids, yeah, they're very, uh, they're quite talented. Yeah, like, I met one of them backstage, had a two-minute conversation with him on Pesach. Seemed like a really focused, gifted music person. Like he just, I don't know, for those couple of minutes, it seemed like he, 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 <clears throat> he's, he's got it. Yeah, so. well, I'm, you might be talking about my married son, Hananya. Yeah. And he, he's quite focused into uh, what he's doing. He, he you know, he's very much, you know, the sounds of what to do and right. the songs and today's sound and and also the psychology of the business where he thinks are and the psychology of social media and all that. Right. So, but all my kids really very very focused into their niche, if that's the word niche, yeah, right? yeah. You know, whatever works, works. And um, you know, they hear from Tati what he thinks, you know, <laughs> and then they correct you. <laughs> and, well, then they're sort of doing their own thing, <laughs> right? But a little there, you understood, know. right? They so, build, they build on your experience to imp- direction they want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I see you're you're hesitant to say. They're all yours. Uh, Esmach Bashem, obviously a big hit. I assume the one that's most talked about so far, right? Well, Esmach Bashem is uh, you know very accepted. The second song is is making a lot of waves. Shalchahi, which is Lon Voed, right? And there's just a bunch of songs. I mean, which are you know having a. Um, a great impact. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if this is true or not, but how does a person know what songs are the most popular that are being sold on iTunes? How does okay. a person from his own well, album? From, I... No, from his own album. Oh, of the thirteen. Yeah. How does a person know? So I I, I went to iTunes yeah. to take a look, and I maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, I never asked anybody this. Right. But if you go to iTunes and you check out an album. Right. So let's say you go to Yachmiel Biyarami Boys Choir on iTunes. So it shows there, it says songs, as well as albums. Songs, and has lists of songs. But certain songs are listed first. Like albums are first. So I assume that the songs that are first are are selling the most, at least now. And sure enough, so I went yesterday, the day before, to take a look. And it says, of all the albums, now we're talking about 40 albums, right? right? The first song of songs... Is Esmach Bashem. Right. Second song is Shalachahi. Right. Third song is Adon Olam. <laughs> the, the old Adon Olam. Yeah. That's great. And then it goes back to, you know, Shalom from the new album, and then it goes to Yevo. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to purchase individual songs from this, they can. On iTunes, right. they, they can, they do, can that. do that. They can do that. But I suggest they don't. Right. You, you suggest they get the <laughs> whole would you, album. Why would you want to do that for? <laughs> After all, an album is like, you know, it's, it's, it's one big story. It's one well, big Well, for another reason. Because sometimes you have albums. There's only one good song. Right. It's only two good songs. 
Not in this case. Not in this case. <laughs> so why would you only want to buy one? That's what that's what basically. Let's doing. do the title track. Your Achmiel begun is here. He alluded to the Olam Vaed forever. It is the title track, and it's in slot number two. The way we used to uh, refer to things on CDs and on LPs uh, here, slot two. here at uh, at JM in the. Well, and what's the first song on the second side? I guess in this case it would be Tzvilas uh, Chopa. <laughs> I guess you would have fit six songs on the first side, right? In this case, well, six or seven. You know, there are people who print vinyl who actually—I should say, press vinyl. There are people who still create. We're going to do that also as soon as people go out to buy, get their record players from the basement. But I'm not kidding; people still do it. Well, you must know that. Yeah, that there's still a a market for it, which is amazing. Not in our market, but I'm saying in general. All right, more coming up. It's the title track. Your Achmiel Begun is in our studio. It's a new music alert Thursday at JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. <laughs> I should be careful saying that, by the way. I said Sadir Achmiel, after all, what can go wrong? And we know too much in concerts what can go wrong. Anyway, nothing wrong with this. It's an amazing brand new album entitled Olam Void Forever Miami is brand new. Uh, the first brand new album, and how long would you say? this was Three a- years and about four months. Did you work on this for three and a half years, or you took a long break and then picked it up? The process of a new album oh, yeah. is in the area of two years. Right. But every other album that you do before that is part of the process as well. Right. So the actual work is about two years. A year of composing, about a year of composing, uh, and then maybe a year and a half of composing, and it gets pretty serious in the summer before. That summer is always a, a serious time of composing. And then the actual, but comes to the actual recording, that goes pretty fast. Why the summer? Why is the summer a serious time for uh, Because composing? for me at least, it's a relaxing time, and I can't compose. At you least. need a clearer head to compose. Yeah, I can't have heavy things on my head and compose. Maybe I was able to do that. You know, 30 years ago, I don't remember, you know, I composed any time. Maybe I did, but it's become a summer thing. Right. When I say summer, I mean yeah. starting a month after Pesach. Right. All the way to- Once the dishes are away. The dishes are to, away. To Elul And the concerts point. are finished right. and stuff. In this situation, because I had to get the album out, and I didn't get it out on, you know, when I wanted to really get it out before Purim, but right. before Purim time, I just couldn't, it was too, too rushed because- you know, we started recording with the choir this album in um, late November, right. and it was short. You know, we didn't have an extra month this year, so the album was. We, uh, you know, I saw the writing on the wall; it wasn't going to come out, and um, pretty much as we got closer to Pesach, so then it came out now, uh, and uh, you know, I figured I had a lot of time from Pesach to the album, right. But uh, before you knew it, you know, this has to be fixed and that has to be done and that has to be changed. So that became busy. So I, I've asked you questions like this before, but I'm so curious. Mm-hmm. You, you heard the refrain, right? Shalchahi, Shalchahi. You heard right, it as right. the song came to an end. Are, are you hearing that as you're composing it? Are you already imagining that type of, you know, arrangement or however, you know, one like yourself would refer to it when you're sitting composing the song or putting it together for the first time? Most of the time... When you make a song, you know, let's say, let's say there's no piano at all. Let's say making a song, uh, driving the car and hitting the steering wheel. Literally, right? which you've done countless times. Countless times <laughs> over the years, right. right. And then you record it. Like in the olden days, you didn't have a phone with right. a recorder. Right. So the olden days, you had to run home and put it on the tape recorder. Right. I remember once right. you, you thought of a great line or whatever you right. musicians right. think. In my studio, really, and you asked me for a napkin because you had to write the musical notes so you would remember it later on. Really, yeah, I remember that happening once. So now you have the voice note thing, and you just and you just turn on your. Well, phone. I was in Eretz Yisrael one year, doing some shows or something. I don't know what, and it was Erev Shabbos. Right. It was like fifteen minutes before Shabbos, and a melody of a certain something like a. 10 seconds only came to my head. Right. I didn't have my tape recorder. There was no phone. I didn't know what to do. So what did I do? So I called home. Answering machine? And my answering machine. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So these things, but what I, what my point was I wanted to answer your question yeah. was, is that the music is in your head. You're composing within music. Right. So you hear, you, you hear chords. Even though you don't know, you know but it's what. never the arrangement that it ends up so being. So when you're making the song in your mind, you it's all part of what you hear the arrangement, what it will be. Right. So if it's shalachahi, so at the end, you know you're hoping that it's going to come out right at the end. But it's right. it's mixed in when you're making the song. Uh, we're a little bit limited on time, but there is a song I wanted to ask you about because mm-hmm. maybe I can put it on. Maybe I can put it on the background. I think it's this one. Okay. The Mazel Tov song includes this words Ashabara. Or, or or some type of wedding No, it's Odishama. Odishama, okay. And it goes into Mazel Tov. Okay, so right, Odishama right. into Mazel Tov. The song is called Mazel Tov. Now, right. I, I'm always curious about this. Uh, and maybe it's just a... Maybe I'm dreaming this, but am I right that, that you have a large catalog of songs that include the words Asher Bara, Odishama, you know, the, the, the wedding type? Or is it really only two or three or three or four and I'm... I'm, I'm not realizing that it's not the 10 or 20 that I'm thinking of in all your collections. I don't know. I would have to think it through. We know the first wedding song that I ever made was Mehera. Right. 
and on the Call Yourself Together album. Does it prevent you so, from making other wedding songs because you've done so many others? Because a lot of the slow ones, right. you might say to yourself, oh, no, it's going to sound too similar. Already you may think because it's slow and it's a ballad, it sounds similar. And then on top of that, you'll say, because it's wedding themed, it's really going to sound similar. Because it's all in that, or that never comes to mind. I don't think I ever, you know, I ever f- f- focused in on that. So it's not a big deal. I'm but, making a big deal out of nothing. No, you're not making a big deal out of nothing. <laughs> you're making a big deal out of something important. <laughs> but I'm saying is that Mahira, for example. Right. And then I did another Mahira on the Yavoy Correct. Album. I remember that. So I, And you had an Ashabar before that. But I was in a different place five years ago or six years ago or eight years ago than I was 24 years ago. So it's a different wedding song. It's a different type of song. Yes. So it, it, it just... Because, because didn't you compose a song for your own wedding? Am I right? For the your, first Mahira, yeah. Right. Well, was, uh, yeah. So... And then did you compose for your kid's wedding or not? Ooh, very good. That, that, the other Mahira... Right. ...was for Hananya's wedding. So there you go. And they're very right. different, obviously. And the times were different. The right. world was different. And as a composer, you're sort of picking up from the world. And that, that's in that's in the songs. Right. We know about composers who are always picking up on their own personal experiences. But right. you would say even the world situation influences right. your... For example, I, coming here, there was very bad traffic on the FDR. Right. So that goes into a song sometime in the summer. That traffic wouldn't have been there 25 years ago. Right. But I'm joking around. But, no, right, but, but your point is that everything will add into the whole experience. I'm in a different place. The world is a different place. And, and as a composer, and you're composing for 45 years now, right. since Toronto Pirche, I'm composing right. 1973, you're composing based on where the Jewish world is, where the world is, everything, and sort of, it, that, that's why it's, it doesn't really make that much of a difference if the words are the same. If age, and then children, and, and please God, grandchildren, you know, make, make us and, and people in general, let's say, softer or more sensitive or whatever it is, are, are you less of an aggressive composer? Because you're now this far down the road, is you, want, it, you want to know if I'm more chilled out, like they say today. Yeah, and 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 are we missing something? Because you don't have that youthful, I say aggressiveness, but the real word, I guess, would be energy. You know, is is, is, is does that make things different because of the? I, I think that, that, that I, I think life? that as it, since I'm composing so long, so I'm just more maybe more confident. But as far as the energy, I mean, the energy of the songs in this album. Are much more energetic that was in Pisciata de Schmeint in '84, right? Because of just the style of what it the was. The sound you always talk about the big sound, etc. And right. also the, everything energy today is much right. more driving in the way right. the songs are composed. So you get to you know compare uh, Kela Kavod to right. Shalachahi. I mean, There's energy. No comparison. But I think as a composer, just more confident in in, in in your in your composing. You walked in here today and essentially said to me off the air. I mean, I. I don't want people to think you just volunteered this. I, I was in conversation with you, and, and one of the things you said is, that, yes, Nahum, there is a lot of great material on this album. Now, you've said this before, but you yourself will agree that there have been some really hot albums, and there have been others that were not as hot. But but it, but to me, it seems, and again, based on the reaction out there, that you're accurate in this case, really accurate. That does, How do you know it? How do you know before we hear any of it that, that we are really going to love this material? Well, usually my first barometer, and besides obviously my family, they right. listen to the songs, but my strong barometer is the choir. You know, when I'm singing to 25 kids, 30 kids, and the kids come from Mayarba, Confos, New York, New Jersey. Right. And if I'm singing, if we're doing songs, and after, after teaching them three, four, five, seven, eight, nine songs, and I ask them, okay, what songs do you like best? And there's different votes, sort of, to say of what they like, and it's not just one song that they like best. So that becomes the first barometer. Right. And the second barometer is the fact that, you know, yes, every album that comes out, I always think that that's the greatest album from that since you know starting then. Right. But in this album, I, all the songs, you know, I just felt that I had hit a different spot with the songs, with the style, and it was sort of a fresh thing. And so that's why there's 13 songs on the album, because I couldn't eliminate wow. any of the songs. Now, I know other people put out 13 song albums, too. But for me, I never did that. So I felt very strong about the songs. I thought it was a statement that today, again, people are into the singles and into releasing a couple of songs at a time. And you are showing the world, hey, I'm not just I'm doubling down. I'm not just giving you a 10 song you know, CD. I'm giving you 13 to prove a point that we're we're keeping this format of Miami. Well, subconsciously, maybe it was there also right. what you're saying. Right. But I think just consciously, somebody in the music business asked me, he says, why did you do 13 songs? 
You shouldn't do 10. It's not necessary. Right. So I said, because musically, I had more what to say. And sometimes as a composer, you just feel like you have more to say and more to give over. And the choir also lent itself because it's some unbelievable sounding choir and some great vocalists. We've had this discussion about different sounding choirs. And that, right, we had, yeah. and, and the sound of the soloist and the choir was such, you know, there was what to express the song. Right. So the combination of things, I guess. Your Achmiel Begun is here. We only have a few minutes left, and it's a shame that it's a tight Thursday. Maybe we should have done it on a different day where I could just keep going till 10 o'clock because there's just so much to say. Um, uh, we got to do another song. We'll do Shalom. Is that okay with you? We'll do Shalom. We could do Shalom, or you can do... Which one do you want? Seven. That's what I was thinking, maybe. That's Tzvilas Chopa. Yeah, that's, a very, that's being, uh, ex, you know... Tell me why this is so special. Well, Tzvilas Chopa, these are words that I found sometime, I guess it was in the summer, like we said. Right. And it was just unbelievable words about Adachopa. That uh, what you misspell before, everybody's misspelled for the Chassanakal, different right. type of words. And it's sung by a very a special soloist, um, a boy from... Uh, but from the choir, one one voice on the one song, one voice only. Wow! Right, so it's and, not even a choir song; it's a one voice song. Right, and that's why I, I thought that maybe your, your listeners should hear it. Okay, there's a bunch of songs in the album we can go through so much. Yeah, but it's something different. Maybe you I'll know? invite you back. We'll do even more. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> but the FDR may not be friendly enough for you to do that. <laughs> so there's a nine to ten spot available. I didn't know that. So. Well, on a, on a different day, I would just extend and keep you here for a while, but today's not the day for that, uh, unfortunately. Tefillah Schopa is uh, that, that special song. And um, as soon as I made it. Right, you knew it. I knew right away I had something new. Yerachmiel Begun's here. It's called Tefillah Schopa. Facebook.com slash Nachum Siegel Network to see us now on Facebook Live. And here we go with the song in slot number seven on the brand new 13th song CD at JM in the AM. Sign of his 
a song called Tfilas Chuppah. Brand new Miami. The gentleman singing that song is named Levy. Yes. What's El- his first name? Elio Levy. Elio Levy. He's been with you for a while? A couple of years, sure. Sure. He's put in his time with Miami? Yes. He put in, <laughs> He's actually, paid his dues? Actually, like I was telling you off the air, he was in the 100 Voice Choir, right. Right. which was... As many of the current members you said were. Right, 100 right. Voice Choir, and he was you know, part of the best voices from New York, New Jersey that we did that year. Right. And then he went into Miami, as other members did as well. Uh, app comments coming through. You, listener Yitzchak, big fan of your Achmiel Begun Miami Boys Choir. Thank you. He says he has the brand new CD. Uh, one of our listeners says, I disagree with your Achmiel Begun. I think everyone still listens to the Nachum Siegel show. <laughs> That's great. And one listener asked. I wasn't there... referring to the Nachum Siegel. I was referring to the, to the newspapers. I know, I'm That's what I was referring to. And then um, one writes, is there a way to see the booklet? That comes with the CD if I bought the iTunes version. How does that work? You should know is that I was struggling with that issue. You'd like to do it, right? I wanted to do it, but then they had an entire list of things. Uh, requirements? Requir- and one of them, which I figured it wasn't going to be so difficult, and you know, and it said that it had to be, the booklet had to be designed horizontally. Mm. The PDF, when we right. create it, had certain, uh, it comes down... Vertically, right. the booklet is designed, even though it opens up horizontally, so, so horizontally right. but when it's designed by the artists and it's outputted by what they call a PDF file. Right. So the whole thing would have had to have been redesigned and it was just like, you know, late. Right. So, and, and it's, I don't think you can add it on later, but yeah, I, I would have loved that it would be there. I think that's right. It's, I, it's figured, a minus. I figured you'd prefer that people had it, in but if people want and they e- email us, you know, at, uh, at our email address, which is why band Miami at AOL? We'll send it to them. Why band? Which is YB and Yachmiel Begun Miami. You know why band? So YB and Miami at at, uh, at AOL at AOL. You will send yeah the booklet. Um, all right, yeah. let me do a couple of things. We have, we have to wrap up, but before just think about what song we should wrap up with, if you don't mind. Let me just remind our listeners that we have a full schedule today. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up next, Charlie Harari with Unlocking Greatness. Nine thirty, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeld with the latest political news on Spin Class. 10 o'clock, Jew in the City Speaks. Allison Joseph speaks with Ashley Blaker, who was here earlier in the week. Miriam L. Wallach and I do a per- parade preview during That's Life coming up at 10.30 this morning. At 11, we'll do a, uh, a truncated live lunch uh, from 11 until 12. And then at 12 o'clock, we'll be at the Achiezer headquarters in the, the five towns as they do their special summer camping emergency campaign. Uh, the program will be Le'ilu Nishmas, Yaakov Mordechai, Ben Avraham, Lipa Cohen, and Le'ilu Nishmas, Le'a Malka, Bas Shalom Yaakov, plus in honor of her for Shlema, for Chaim Shlomo Zalman, Ben Liba Brindle. It's all happening today. Don't forget to celebrate Israel Parade is Sunday. We are presented by Ale. Our coverage is presented by Ale. We'll be on Fifth Avenue from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. Make sure to tune in and uh, enjoy the sights and sounds of Fifth Avenue. Again, Ale presents the Celebrate Israel Parade coverage for us at the Nahum Siegel Network. And a big thank you to Carmel Winery, Rothenberg Law Firm, Uden's Appliances, and the American Committee of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem for sponsoring Sunday as well. All right, your choice. We have to wrap things up. Number three. number. And it's funny. I asked you earlier about number three. It's a good right. song. It's right. a good song. Yeah. It's called Shalom, as we say Shalom. Shalom <laughs> to you, Nachum, as well. I uh, I take, I, let me just get number three set. Right. I take this opportunity to wish you continued Hatzlacha. I, I, was, I was, like many other people, wondering if you, in fact, could in 2018 – uh, make a splash, a significant splash in the world of Jewish music. And look what you've done. It's an amazing brand new album. Appreciate it very much, Nachum. So Baruch Hashem. La'ela la'ela for both of us, Mr. Hashem. Amen. It's called La'olam Va'ed Forever. We wrap up with a song entitled Shalom, Yerachmiel Begun, and the Miami Boys Choir. My thanks, Yerachmiel Begun, for visiting us on a new music alert Thursday at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Yerachmiel Begun regarding the brand new album Forever, Leolam Void. Thanks so much for tuning in to JM Rewind. Our next edition is next week at this time. And I thank you very much for tuning in to all of our programming. Continue listening right now on the Nahum Siegel Network.